And trust isn't just earned on the side of a mountain or hucking across cliffs. Trust is earned through a shared experience. And it doesn't matter what that shared experience is, but sharing an experience with somebody where you're a part of something. So why would two guys leave comfortable jobs, move across the country and start a business in an industry they don't know, a place they don't know, and could it be successful? We're Dale and Brian Carmi. Join us as we share our story and inspire you to become people of impact. Welcome to the Impact Without Limits podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Impact Without Limits. Brian Carmi here with my brother Dale. Hello. And we were in the middle of the Jeff Evans story left with a cliffhanger. So if you're just tuning in here, don't start right now. Go back, listen to the previous episode and hear Jeff Evans. Part two. Part two. 25 plus years ago. Now we've done a few things. We've climbed a few hills, climbed a few big mountains, climbed a bunch of rock faces all over Yosemite, big walls, climbed mountains on seven continents. Uh, And in the middle of all of that, um, I'm not going to tell you that I got it right all the time. I have seriously damp near killed that guy at least several dozen times. And I'm talking about not just on the stuff that you may consider the big hairy walls and stuff like that. I'm talking about on a trail, like a, you know, pretty narrow trail with, with drops on both sides where I turn around. I'm like a little bit right, a little bit, I mean, left, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, I've almost killed him dozens and dozens of times. But we've also had to get it right. And I mean real right. Many, many times. Amongst all the walls and the mountains and the, and the so forth we did, we did, this, we did this little window of time, about two years of where we were doing these things called adventure races. And adventure races are awful. They are so miserable. They are usually timed, so you have to go through these checkpoints at a certain time, and then you know, there's all these different disciplines of you know, mountaineering, rock climbing, rappelling, whitewater kayaking, mountain biking, all this kind of stuff. We did them all you know, on probably three different continents all over the place. And so some of them, like there was one race we did in the Sierras in California. Um, it, we, it was, took us 10 days, and over the course of those 10 days, we slept 18 hours total in those 10 days. Miserable, awesome, fantastic, tons of fun, miserable, awful, really good time. Well, there was this one we did in Morocco uh, where it was uh, a month-long stage race, right? And so we get to this, this, this objective where we get up to the edge of this cliff. And we stand up at the edge of this cliff, and the race directors are you know, like, okay, check it out. We're 40 feet above this cliff, this roaring river below us. And they said, you know, there's one team ahead of you right now. They jumped. But hey, you guys have got a blind guy. So we set up this rope. See that white rope in the background right there? If you guys want to take that, it's a little bit more secure with the blind guy. Maybe it would take a little longer, but, you know, instead of jumping, you should maybe consider the rope. And Eric and I looked at each other and said, one, two, three, go. So boom, down into the big drink we go. Um, do, you know, do you know what the best part about jumping off a 40-foot cliff with your blind buddy is? You can tell him it's 30 feet. <laughs> What's he going to do? Like halfway through, be like, bro, this is longer than you said, man. Guiding Eric has been a gift 
to me an absolute gift. It has made me a better human being. It's made me a better friend. It's made me a better husband. It's made me a better dad. It's made me a better trauma PA. It's made me better because it has required me and conditioned me to move and pivot and be aware and conscientious of the people around me and how to elevate them, how to push them forward. Because knowing intrinsically that our fate is tied together. And if I elevate the people around me, look what happens. Look what happens. I've seen it time and time again. That gift has translated to being also pretty effective at preparing my mindset for different adverse experiences, how to manage adversity, how to, challenge, how, to, how to confront challenging environments and how to move through them uh, efficiently. So as an uh, emergency room PA, uh, I have been asked to go on uh, multiple medical missions um, over the past, I'd say, 15 years or so. Um, and I've been asked to lead a lot of teams on natural disaster sites, and I get the opportunity to to also, uh, I get invited to go do projects like this one, uh, where they, uh, I got asked to lead a team of uh, search and, a search and rescue team on in the foothills of the of the Himalayas, where we were rescuing uh, folks, climbers, mostly alive climbers, uh, off of the biggest mountains in the world, Everest, and and all the surrounding peaks. There, I worked with three different helicopter pilots and six Sherpas that were on the ground and. Every day, all day, every day, all day, it was, it was recognize the situation, uh, stabilize the situation, create a response and respond. It was variables that were consistently changing every day, whether it was the position of the patient, it was the weather, uh, it was the amount of fuel we would need, it was the weight of the aircraft, it was the weather, uh, it was how many supplies I could take, and it was also the weather. Uh, also had a lot to do with it every time, but it was mission after mission after mission, day after day for three months. And then when I got back from that, and then I was asked to lead a team of trauma specialists, paramedics, and nurses um, to a part of the world that perhaps a good handful of y'all probably have been over to before. I got asked to uh, embed with the Iraqi Special Operations Forces over in Mosul. Our allied forces were about 15 kilometers behind us, but we went in embedded with the ISOF teams as they took the fight to ISIS in center city Mosul. Uh, we would accept their, their uh, uh, combat casualties every day, all day, every day, all day. We'd move into these old abandoned homes and driveways and set up all our trauma bays and accept their, uh, their, their casualties um, all day. It was a, a, quite an environment of having very, very limited resources, limited equipment with an, a never-ending supply of combat uh, injuries, combat and blast injuries. Um, long story short, we were there for a little over a month, and uh, by the fourth week, ISIS uh, got wind that we were there. They targeted us, then they damp near killed us. We had to evacuate out of there and move forward. Now, I got back from that, and I was you know, a little bit spun. And uh, now, fortunately, I have a lot of military friends. Eric and I started a program uh, in 2010. Uh, it used to be called Soldiers to Summits. Now it's called No Barriers Warriors, where we take 
injured vets on, on mountain climbing expeditions around the world um, because we feel like it really does allow folks to reestablish a mission, uh, to train up for a mission, to manage adversity, to prepare, to feel like they're a part of something big again, be a part of a teamwork. That's what we did. And it's still in operation today. We, we, uh, we take a lot of folks out. And as a result, I've led a lot of those trips, and I've become very close with some, some really amazing uh, men and women. Um, and, and one of them in particular, uh, I got back from, from Mosul, and he'd spent a, he spent a lot of time over there. And he's like, man, I know you, man, and I know you're going to keep going to do these th- kind of things. And if you're going to do that, let's, let's talk about how to stay straight when things are crooked right? How to keep your head straight when things come off the, the rails, right? So he introduced me to this, um, this uh, curriculum that the American War College used to use uh, back in the day. I was so inspired by it, realized that all of us, everybody, to a person, we all go through micro and macro adversities on the daily. Coming in last night, right? A lot of travel issues, a lot of late flights, all kinds of stuff. But guess what? It beats riding a horse, right? It beats riding in a carriage. It beats swimming. But we made it. And here we are. Little micro adversities. And then there's macro adversities. My mom's got terminal brain cancer. That's a macro adversity, right? That's a big deal. But we manage those. We have it because we are human beings. And that's part of the process that we're here. So how do you interpret process and manifest it? I wrote a book about it. Some of you have the, the book in front of you. I'm a terrible salesperson. Don't even read it, okay? Just re-gift it to somebody if you want. I'll tell you, because I'm going to tell you. Here it is. I'm going to give you the cliff notes right now. You know what that book says? It says, here's how to manage adversity. Be kind. Be compassionate. Be considerate. Be resourceful. Be patient. Be tenacious. That's pretty much it. Yeah, there's a lot of other little, you know, some powdered sugar sprinkled on top. And there's some other nuances that, that really make it good. And once again, you make it yours. You, you, you create your subjective way of dealing. But that's really what it comes down to is being kind, being compassionate. Because guess what? You're not the only one going through it. Everyone is going through stuff. So it's how you manifest it out. Now, Eric also taught me a lot. He taught me one critical piece is that as a guide and as a leader, when things aren't going my way, that's when I need to step up into that adversity the most. Eric and I got to a point where we started considering what it would be like to climb the seven summits. Definitely no blind dude had ever done anything like that. So, so here we, uh, we started, started considering it. We started talking about it. And it was just amongst ourselves like, hey, what would it be like to to go do Everest, man, that'd be wild, right? No, you know, no blind dude had ever even sneezed the idea of, of Everest before. And here we were starting to consider and talk about it. But we got to a point where we had to just make it public because we were broke and we didn't have any money. We had to get it paid for, right? So we made it public and we were like, hey, we're going <laughs> to take a blind dude up Mount Everest. Yeah. And all of these um, experts um, on Mount Everest kind of came out of the woodwork and, and uh, guys who you've probably read their books, John Cracker. So we, uh, John's, John's a friend of ours. He lives in Boulder, you know, wrote into thin air and, you know, he, he called us up individually to be like, Hey man, you guys have done a good job getting Eric up this, this, and this good job. But Everest has got a whole lot more moving parts to it. And not only is he going to get dead, he's probably going to take a few of you with him. 
And we were hearing things like there was a higher chance of, of Eric getting smoked, actually, than summiting. That's what these experts were saying. And so Eric and I came back together like, hey, man, maybe these, maybe these guys are on to something. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is a bad idea. And what we realized is like, hey, man, you're right. Hey, you guys are right. We probably won't get Eric to the top. Probably not. But we're, if we do all the things we know how to do, we brace all those characteristics that we're going to go up there and we're going to put our best foot forward, so to speak, and then come back alive. Because these guys were experts on Everest, but they weren't experts on us. And we knew we could do something. It may not be the fruitful summit that everybody was hoping for, but it will be something. It will be an attempt. We're pushing ourselves out. And so Eric and I went out, we, we, we collected a, a group of, of guys that, that we thought would make a great team, guys who we'd climbed with before. Then the first order of business when you go climb Mount Everest is you got to hike in 10 days just to get to the base of Everest. And then you see this thing. And this is the icefall. This is called the Kumbu Icefall. And it is a diabolical place. It's, it's a glacier that gets squeezed between the west shoulder of Everest over on the left and the uh, right shoulder of another mountain called Nupse on the, uh, on the right. First time through there, it took me 15 hours to guide Eric through there. 15 hours, the hardest day either one of us had ever have. Uh, up, down, across, repelling, you know, climbing up, lowering down, jumping crevasses and stuff. At one point, Eric leaned over to me. He's like, bro, this place does not suit the Americans with Disabilities Act at all. What a jumbled up mess. So how did I get Eric across some of those big, huge ladders from here to that wall, 60 feet across? Well, I'd put him on the ladder just like the rest of us. But there was some crevasses that were five and six foot across with no ladder on it. So how did I get him across those? I get him to jump. And I get him to stand to the edge of that crevasse, reach across with his antenna. And then I say, all right, man, I'd hold the rope like I'm doing right there just to give him some orientation. And I get him, okay, man, it takes three steps back and then let it rip. And Eric, stick the landing, bro. Like, don't come up short, okay? And he did over and over and over and over again. Now you see how that whole cliff jumping thing happens, right? Now you see it. That's trust. And trust isn't just earned on the side of a mountain or hucking across cliffs. Trust is earned through a shared experience. And it doesn't matter what that shared experience is. But sharing an experience with somebody where you're a part of something, you get flooded with this hormone called oxytocin when that takes place. And oxytocin is the leadership teamwork sort of hormone that comes in and, it, and it's a positive feedback loop. And we're a part of something we feel good about it. And then we want to be a part of something and we feel good about it. We're a part of a tribe and we feel good. It's like when, when I travel internationally and I, um, and I see somebody with a CU Buffs hat on. I went to the University of Colorado. And I'm like, yeah, bro, what's up, man? And he's like my best friend I've ever had in my life. I just meet the dude. Yeah, right on. And then I see somebody with a Nebraska Cornhuskers hat on. Like, you're evil. And I walk away. Sorry if anybody in here is from... I was taught at a very young age to not like... Uh, Nebraska, um, even though the turkey hunting there is phenomenal. So, so that oxytocin is something that is really, truly something we crave. We want to be a part of something that, we, that is bigger than us. So once we got through that, uh, that ice fall, 
Uh, we had to do it a total of 10 different times. Then you get up to this place called the South Call. And the South Call is at 8,000 meters, 26,000 feet. And that is where your body basically starts to cannibalize itself. It starts to just implode. You don't have enough oxygen. It's so hypoxic up there that you can't do all these basic, basic things, right? Like, um, you know, you lose your hunger, you lose your appetite. Any food you do eat, you can't even assimilate any nutrition from it. You get a process called uh, cerebral edema, which is where your brain fills up with fluid and your brain swells and you get this wicked headache and your vision changes and then you get fluid in your lungs and your your lungs start to fill up with fluid. You get a condition called pulmonary edema and you're basically drowning on your own fluid. It's an awesome place to spend a spring break. But the idea is to really just like uh, not even hesitate up there. You want to get up there and you want to... Uh, get out of there as, as quick as possible. So two months later, we get to here. It took us two months to get to this point. And not necessarily because of Eric. Eric was in part one of those variables that kind of got us to this point where two, late, two months later, here we are, we're up there. We all come together and we talk about what our strategy is going to be because at this point, we're only one full day away from the summit and getting the first blind guide to the summit of, of Everest. And we get up there and we're like, hey, man, this is, here we are. Now we'll let, now to let we do. We all come together up there and we're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. 9 p.m., uh, we're going to head out. And we're going to hope to climb through the night and hopefully maybe summit the next morning and be off the summit before the big storms come in, usually around noon or so. So at this point, uh, that rope that we're typically connected to on every other mountain around the world, uh, it goes away when you get up this high. And now instead, you have what's called a fixed rope, which the Sherpas put in. And if you want to hold on to that rope, you can, you can hold on to it and, and, uh, and, and make your way up and then also hold on to it for the descent. Now, uh, and, and, and therefore, you can go at your own pace. So somebody can move forward really fast. You can all stay together, what have you, right? And so we made an agreement that if anybody woke up after the little nap, nine o'clock, you head out. If anybody was really feeling it, was really just in the pocket, go, do it. We call that person the avalanche poodle. Send them out, see what happens. Good luck. May the force be with you. Well, I woke up. We've been going two months at this point. I had lost 45 pounds, all of us. Beat up. I mean, worn down. Everybody was tired and sick. But I woke up that night and I felt strong. I felt really strong for the first time in a while. And we'd made that agreement. We're going to go. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm gone. It was 19 of us at this point with all our Sherpas, including Appa and Eric and myself. And I felt good. And so I got out in front of everybody. And that was an hour in front of everybody, an hour in front of Appa, two hours in front of Appa. Now I'm two, I can't even see their headlamps down below me. And I'm cruising along, feeling pretty good. And I watched the most magnificent sunrise that I'd ever seen come up over the valley floor of Tibet. And I'd been following that rope that was put in a week before by some Sherpas. Uh, and I didn't need it. I didn't need it to know which way to go. It dropped off thousands of feet on both sides. But I needed that rope to be there 
to make sure that we had an opportunity for a safe descent. I didn't need it to go up, but I needed to make sure that it was there for the descent. Because what happens is the weather you know, gets awful and it lose visibility and then it's just the blind leading the blind, right? And everybody, you know, will just be like trying to make up how to get down. They get lost and they take the real quick trip down to base camp, if you know what I'm saying. That wasn't an option. So I've been following this rope. Everything was going along pretty good. And I was following the rope and all of a sudden the rope stopped. And it took me a minute. I remember kneeling down for the first time in like, you know, 10 hours. And I remember looking down and looking out to my left and seeing that the rope did two different things. It went out to the left and it shot uh, about maybe 50, 60 feet. And then it shot up hundreds of feet through this band of rock, this chossy, nasty band of rock. And it went up through that and then went to what's called the South Summit, not the real summit. Real summit was still two hours away, but the South Summit. So I could see all that play out in front of me, this nasty rock, the kind of stuff that, that you know, Eric takes two steps up and one step back. Wears them out. Seen it happen dozens of times. Didn't seem like a good option. But there was option two, and it was right in front of me, and it also went up the same terrain we'd been going up, good 60 degrees, snow and ice, went up to that same point the other one did, South Summit. Perfect, right? Only problem was it was buried under a foot to two foot of packed snow and ice. And if I was going to get that rope out, I was going to have to dig it out. Digging ropes out at 28,500 feet, I knew what that was going to mean for me. So there it was. Easy way for me, just go up the way the rope does, but hard way for Eric. Alternatively, easy way for Eric, just keep on trucking. Hard way for me, and I'm not going to sum it. It's going to take everything I got to dig that rope out. Now, you can define leadership a million different ways. You go to Barnes & Noble. They got a whole leadership section, all these great books, good opportunities to learn. We're all different style leaders. One thing. One thing that is not negotiable, that is in the repertoire of every great leader, is a great leader seeks out opportunities to show their team their level of commitment, to show them, not by talking about it, but by doing it, by action, by speaking about it, and then going and following it up with action. So I started digging. I chopped at that rope with my ice axe. I chopped, and then I, you know, big plates of snow and ice would be fall behind me, and I chop and I pull and I chop and I pull two hours of that. And finally, the last bit, boom! I pulled it like a banjo string. I got it up there, and right about that time, everybody, all the rest of the team came up one by one. Appa, everybody, we all hugged, and finally Eric comes up last one, and he hugs me. And he's like, hey, man, I'd ask you what you've been doing for the past couple hours, but you've been pelting me with snow and ice. So thanks. Let's go do this. Let's go finish this. And I'd already done an inventory. And just as expected, I was done. I was out of gas. I was smoked. And I told him, I was like, man, I'm done, dude. I think I'm finished. And if ever a blind guy could do it, he went, what? Wait, what? You're not going? I said, nah, man, I want to. I want to remain an asset to you, not a liability. And uh, I want you to go and knock this thing out. I'm done. And he told me later in Kathmandu, after all was said and done, he's like, man, when you told me that, it really took the air out of me because he knew that every single summit that he had ever stood on in his life, I was standing right next to him. And here was the biggest one of all. And he knew how it was about to play out. 
So we hugged and we cried and our tears froze to our cheeks. And I watched as my best friend who happened to be blind, uh, lowered off the South Summit with Luis and started to walk across the ridge towards the top of the world, towards the Hillary Step and the summit of Everest. And I was not sad. I was not disappointed. Matter of fact, my heart was completely full because I knew that every single person, every person on that team had carried more weight, had put an extra camp in, had guided Eric longer, more days, had done everything to get to this point. And there goes that man walking across the ridge to the top of the world. And right around that time, right then, as I'm looking over my right shoulder, I look over to my left and I see this. And this, without a doubt, other than the birth of my little boy, uh, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. The sun coming up from behind us in Tibet. And it's casting a shadow of the summit of Mount Everest onto the valley floor of Nepal. And somehow at that very moment, the moon was just perched right above that shadow. And I saw that to my left and I see a blind guy about to go stand on top of the world to my right. I'm like, ooh, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. Here we go. Okay, okay, okay. This is, okay, good. I get it. All right, are you going to, can you, can you get to the top? I think so. Yeah. Can you get back down? Mm, not so sure. That's not a good option. Not a good answer. Here I was. We always say in mountaineering, getting to the summit is optional. Coming home is not. But here it was, this moment. I was like, okay, I'm never going to have another chance to do this with Eric. No way, man. So you better come up with some way to focus. You better come up with some way to really dig down and really, really come up. You can always turn around, right? This is the dialogue I'm having in my, in my head because this is where I was standing, right? I was standing on top of this knoll. It was a 10,000-foot drop to the right down into Tibet and a 6,000-foot drop to the left down into Nepal. Either way, I was convinced if I fell, it probably hurt pretty bad. All right, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You got to come up with some sort of mantra, some sort of way to focus, some some way to really get in the pocket. It better be short, right? It better be really concise. Two words would probably be good. How about don't fall? Good. Don't fall. I went with don't fall. I lowered off that south summit, and if I tiptoed across that ridge right behind Luis and Eric, and if I said don't fall once, I bet I said it a million times, just tiptoeing across that ridge. And then two hours later, I was standing on top of the world with a blind dude. And here we were all talking about how amazing it was and like the curvature of the earth and all. This is so rad, man. And finally, Eric's like, hey, guys, the view is just completely overrated, man. (laughs) Seriously, he said that. In those, we spent 20 minutes on top. 20. Took us two and a half months to do the whole trip. A little bit not right. I get it. I understand. I learned an immeasurable amount in those two and a half months. I learned a lot about leadership and about teamwork, about sacrifice, about managing adversity. I learned a lot, but I didn't learn any of it in those 20 minutes. None, zero, donut, bagel, nothing. Because life doesn't take place on the summit. No, life takes place on the flanks of the mountain, on the sides of the mountain. That's where it happens. That's where we 
stand up, where we fall down, where we stand back up and we brush ourselves off and we recalibrate and we re-strategize and we re-rope and we maneuver our rope teams around to be able to create efficient travel. That is where life takes place. That's where we learn so that when we do get those few precious moments, we are as good as we possibly can be on those summits. 80% of all mountaineering accidents happen on the descent. Why? Because people get up to the top, they get where they're going, and then they become complacent. And then they end up breaking their arm, batting themselves on the back, nice job, and then they, once again, take the very quick trip back down to base camp. And I've cleaned up a lot of those messes. I've seen it happen. All the more reason for when to realize that when we are climbing these mountains, these metaphorical mountains, they are not isolated one mountain sitting by itself and you get down and check me out, look what I've done. Instead, we operate in a mountain range. You get down from one mountain and guess what? The next one is just looming over you, staring at you and asking you if you've got what it takes. So don't really celebrate a lot until you get back down to base camp and that's where you can hug or you can slug a few beers back, celebrate what you did and then guess what? Prepare for the next one because here it comes. It's going to ask you if you're ready or not right then. So we had, uh, we, we set a few records. We got the first blind guy to the top of Mount Everest. I'm pretty sure that record will never be broken because there's no other dumb blind guys out there. But the record that all of us are the most proud of, Eric, myself, Appa, everybody, was that we had 19 from one team in one day, Summit. Previous record was nine. I'm over there a lot. I see these teams. I see these teams of people. They get into the airport in Kathmandu. They're like, hey, man, my name's Jeff. Good to meet you. I'm your teammate. Fast forward two months. Huge storm. No visibility. Everybody's scared going to the top. You've seen those pictures. Huge long queues of people all standing there waiting to die. Those aren't teams. Guys laying on the side of the trail asking for help. Everybody's stepping around him. Oh, man, sorry, man. I paid a lot of good, good luck. Good luck. You'll be all right. Those are not teams. Those are loose confederations of people who do not care about each other. 19 from one team in one day. That's a true testament of what happens when a group of people truly do care, invested into the outcome and the success of the people around you. I care. I love you. I care about you. I want you to succeed. Boom. 19 from one day. So I leave you with this. There's a A lot of big mountains out there, all of them, the biggest ones are the figurative ones, right? They're the ones that really require us to dig down as teammates and leaders. And because you're in this room, the onus is on you to look for opportunities to reach out and grab that hand and jump off that cliff and honor the vulnerability it takes for that person to reach out and ask for it. The onus is on you to look for opportunities to dig those ropes out. And for you to embrace and nurture those Sherpa leadership characteristics every day, both professionally and personally. So it's a privilege and an opportunity for me to spend the greatest commodity that any of us have, which is time, all with you. Thank you very much and continued success to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Thank you again to Jeff for coming out and sharing with us and then allowing us to share this with the Impact Without Limits audience. So hope you got as much out of that as we did. Yeah, I'd say, guys, this is one you got to share. Hopefully hopefully share them all. Yeah. But I, I thought, just again, some great principles here. 
So you can, we'll link to Jeff's website. You can get his book. We'll put a link to his book in the show notes as well. But if you like this episode, take a screenshot, send it to a friend, send them the link. We'd love for you to share this. And, and again, we're trying to create an opportunity to be people of impact and create people of impact. Have a great week. This is the Threads Army reminding you that faith looks up, hope looks ahead, and love looks all around to see whom it can help. Good day.